Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Okay, let's get into Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. Let's pray and we'll get started. God, thank you for this time, for this evening, for uh, this book and the things we're going over tonight. We Pray, Lord, that our hearts uh, be open to receive the things that are there, that our minds would be able to imagine the things that you are conveying, and Lord, that we would apply them to our lives in whatever ways that is useful in helping us to grow in our relationship with you, Father, in our life with you. And thank you for this time. We pray for those who aren't able to be here because of illness or just being hurt, Lord. And we pray for their health. We pray for health of our country. We pray for health of our community. And even as is mentioned, Lord, we pray as we move forward looking at a building a little bit more uh, aggressively, Lord, that you would open doors and lead us and guide us and that we would, Father, commit ourselves to what you desire to do always in our life and in our community. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Revelation 18, remember we are coming towards the end of the book. John is really going to start wrapping things up as far as this whole tension that has been presented, the tension of uh, the persecution of the bride, the slain lamb and his victory over the beast and uh, over the one who actually um, produces the beast, I guess you would say. And we'll look at that a little bit, but we're coming to an end and looking at these contrasts. And so we're going to start to see really the fall of this beast or as it's going to be referred to Babylon. And so let's start reading. Verse 1, chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. 
For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Warning to escape Babylon's judgment, then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. So her sins are piled up to heaven, for her sins are piled up to heaven. And God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death and mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. You know, today when we think of wilderness, or we we might have, you know, a place where we are trying to actually preserve, you know, national parks and places of beauty. And I know recently, even in our city, the ASO fields where someone was threatening to build all kinds of, I think, apartment complexes or condos there. And there was a big fight, save our fields. You know, you can't just be taking away these places. And so we see the idea of wilderness areas as places that need to be uh, preserved. But it wasn't the case there. Wilderness was not considered a nice national park, beautiful escape kind of a place like we do today. They were actually more dangerous. That's where the wild animals dwelt. And that's where there was more chance for injury. And the idea of cities were seen as the advancement of civilization. And so you lived in the city and you were in a more civilized place. And the wilderness was more of a hazardous place and so what we're going to see in this vision is you know the ideal city that john has in mind is going to be seen later and chapter 21 we're going to start seeing the ideal city revealed the the kingdom of heaven and what we have here is the opposite right as well as its demise Babylon here represents, again, the summit of human achievement, kind of like Babel in Genesis, right, where they were building and they were going to build a tower up into the heavens, a place where man has the illusion that he has reached the heavens and has no need, that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. But in the end, it's collapsed. The wilderness is again taking over so that it is good only for demons, for unclean spirits, unclean birds, detestable animals. The whole idea here is that of unclean. It is the Garden of Eden reversed, right? Where there was a garden where there was all kinds of, you know, fruit and place things for man to enjoy. This has nothing that can be enjoyed. It is the place, the haunt of demons, right? Coming up to Halloween fitting, right? This is the idea that's being presented here. And so it's a sign of regression, a regression from the garden, a regression from civilization. It's a regression from God, and it's showing up in all these things here. 
And John presents this decline as good, right? The, the angel is shouting out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And it's kind of this yay for this day. It's finally happening. And as he's presenting as good, it's just like the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of people was considered good because what was happening was bad. And if it continues to happen, it will just get worse. And what we're seeing here is the destruction of something that needs to fall. The idea of Babylon falling and it being good is found in Isaiah chapter 21 verse 9 as well as Jeremiah 51 verse 8. That the arrogance and oppression of human rule will not have the last word. And that's what John is really portraying here. God is going to have the last word, not this great city, not these people who have profaned themselves against God. God will have the last word. Creation itself will be restored and find relief. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8 too, that the whole earth is in the travails as if it was in childbirth waiting for the redemption, right? And so that's really where John is at here. He's talking about these things. And in verse 1, he says, the earth was illuminated by his splendor, the splendor of this angel. It's like a flood of glorious light has shone in on the dark world. It's exposing it. It's eliminating it. It is reversing all of its evil and the works that are done. And as we see the judgment spelled out in verse verses 6 and 8, it's give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double what she has done. Pour her a double portion for her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. All of these point out that what has happened has been brought down by her. She has brought this on herself. All these things are a reaping of what you have sown, right? They're not disconnected from this judgment isn't disconnected from the evils that have taken place that she has done. They're not just being brought out for no reason. And they're not being brought on her by those who have been martyred by her, right? It's not all the people who she has hurt are now going to finally rise up in revolution against her. These are the repercussions of everything that she's done, right? She's sown these things and now she is reaping these things. And it's important to recognize that this judgment is being brought on her by God. Mighty is the Lord who judges her, not by the martyrs, not by the people, but by God. And again, it's referring to or 
reminding us of Romans 12.9 that quotes Deuteronomy 32.5 that vengeance belongs to the Lord and it is as if God is allowing the evils done by Babylon to come back on her. You've made your bed and now you have to sleep in it kind of a thing. And it's really important that that is understood because it's not our place to try and bring about the judgment or bring about the, you know, yeah, the, to bring about the judgment, to to make things right, to prove, you know, hey, we're going to overcome. God is the one who does that, right? It's Jesus telling Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know that he who lives by the sword will die by the sword? It's like, I've got this. Don't Don't try and take it upon yourself. And the church is not the martyrs who have died for the cause are not bringing up this judgment. She's brought it on herself, and God is seeing to it that it happens. In Isaiah 47, verses 8 and 9, it says, Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. So again, we see Revelation is taking these words from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, from Jeremiah, from all of Scripture, really, and putting them into the context that he's living in, helping us to see that the judgment that God is passing is the same one that he has always passed. It's nothing new. Babylon of old, Rome, Babylon of current, and whatever Babylon will be in the future, it all is going to come to the same demise if it continues in the same ways. In verse 4, it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out here, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. And again, this is referencing Isaiah uh, chapter 48, 20, Jeremiah 51, 45. But what does it mean to John's hearers and to us today about come out from her, my people, right? Because the idea of come out and not be among them, I know I heard it growing up in the church as being, you know, you just can't be hanging out with people who are not Christian. You know, you can't go to the concerts that they go to. You can't go out partying to the things that they go to, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, a bar or something like that. There's this whole idea of, yeah, you just got to be separate. Come out, be separate. But we've seen already that the compromises mentioned in the seven churches where they were giving themselves over to some of the idolatries, some of the powers, the pleasures, the luxuries, and the ways that those were presented that were in contrast to God. And the purpose, I think, God wanting Babylon to fall is not just to topple a government or topple the things uh, that are bad. Paul even wrote that we are showing or to show respect to authority, right? So it's not just come out of anything that is not Christian. It, there's not this lack of respect that is there. But 
it's when societies gain power without a servant character or attitude that we see in Christ. Remember, Jesus said, those who lord over you, you know, those who are over you, they lord over you and they kind of rule with authority, but not so among you. Whoever will be great in the kingdom of heaven will be the servant of all. And so all these authorities that rule without a servant character attitude are going to have to account for that attitude. Um, Jesus had told them that. He had provided them a different leadership, a leadership that cared, a leadership that was to pursue justice, a leadership that cared about the people. Um, And when the powers that provide security or when power provides security at the expense of justice, then the followers of Christ need to still pursue justice. And so when he's saying to come out from among them, he's not talking about, yeah, if there's some people here and they start, you know, uh, drinking, you need to get up and you need to leave. He's talking really in a bigger sense about the way a society conducts themselves, lives, and uses power without a regard to justice, then you need to pursue that justice over the power or over the comfort or over those, whatever it might be, the pleasures, over the things that are taking place. Is justice more important? And again, this is the kind of thing that I think has real applications to us if we want to think about and pursue these things different. We've talked about this in the past. You know, we go to the store and we buy clothes and we think nothing of it. Man, I got four shirts for $20. It was a great deal. And we don't think, well, who made those shirts? And what was the conditions of those who made those shirts? You know, and you find out it's a sweatshop and these people are putting in, you know, 80 plus hours a week in horrific conditions that are dangerous And it's also that we can get four shirts for $20. And when we find out about that, then what do we do? Well, I still like to only pay $20 for four shirts. Or do we say, well, if I buy one shirt for $20 and it's providing for someone more humanely or get four shirts for $20, what's going to be my choice? See, I think we could look at that and say, come out from among them. Those who would care less about those who are actually in peril, just in work, because the conditions are so poor, so that they can keep it so cheap. I mean, you think about it, really, why have, why has clothing gotten cheaper, right? Materials still cost the same or more. The only thing that's changed is the labor. And we're going to see that that's a big part of what John is pointing to here. Um, Verse 9 goes on. He says, When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. 
terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and the articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit of you longed for the fruit you longed for is gone from you all your luxury and splendor have vanished never to be recovered the merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off terrified at her torment they will weep and mourn and cry out woe woe to you great city dressed in fine linen purple and scarlet and glittering with gold precious stones and pearls in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city! where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. And so now we're seeing a contrast. We're seeing those who were partners with this great city with this babylon which again is a representation of rome at that time the reaction who those who were in alliance with her and why they weep we see the contrast to the reaction of the angel who declares it as good news who wants to rejoice over these things while they are mourning have you ever witnessed destruction of something it could be anything from a home that has been burnt and you go back and you see nothing but you know the charred you know wood that's left there or an earthquake and a building that's come down i know when we went to haiti and went by the capital it was just pancaked and it was just you know a beautiful looked like it once was a beautiful building was just in ruin and devastated and you see it and it's a little bit overwhelming it's like wow the destruction that took place when we went to uh bay st louis in mississippi and saw the effects of hurricane katrina as we were getting there someone pointed out look at the tree line and about 20 feet up in the tree line everything above 20 feet was green and below the 20 feet was brown and said that was where the seawater was. And so everything that was underwater has died because of the salt in the sea. And when you went there, there was no birds. You could not hear a bird because they were all gone. And it was just eerie, right, to see 
wow, the water was that high. Everything we can see was underwater at some point. And you think of all the houses that used to be there. There was just slabs. The houses were gone, and it was just overwhelming, right, the devastation. And when you see something like that, it is a shock. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is horrific. And that's the idea here. There's ruin that's come down, and it's come down suddenly, right? It wasn't expected, and all of a sudden, things have changed, and you see that. Um, it's the idea of losing something, something that you had had. And even the merchants and, and all the transaction and all their wealth as if the stock market crashed on them. Or if something that you had invested in, you found out it was gone. I remember when I was selling lumber, I had made the biggest sale uh, of my then career in in lumber sales, it was a full truckload of northern red oak that had been milled, and I forget it was probably like twenty five thousand dollars worth of lumber that I sold at one time, which was a pretty good amount might have even been more and I sold it, and i 'm thinking this is great. I sold this lumber, my commission on this is going to be good. this is good, and it was supposed to be a reoccurring thing where every month they did this, and so i 'm like thinking, yes, this is a good thing. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is where, you know, this is the client you're looking for. This is the big guns here. And now you, you've you hit it and it's going to start paying off. Turns out that that company had, was trying to start a furniture company in Mexico and it just went belly up. And all that wood that I sold them, they didn't pay it. They didn't pay for it. So I had to eat that commission. I had to, you know, I got the commission one month. And then with three months later, I had to give it up. And it was like, whoa, 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 great truck full of wood. You know, it was that kind of feeling like, oh, no, here was this idea of I was going to have this. It was going to help me. And now it's all gone. Right? And so these sinking feelings are being presented here. Um, it's a picture taken again from Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 27, um, but a fresh image that John is putting on himself. Now, John doesn't say that the gold, the silver, all the precious things that he mentions here, the wheat, cattle, he doesn't see these things are bad. In fact, in chapter 21, we're going to see them, a lot of them take place in this new Jerusalem, right? So these things aren't bad in themselves, but there's something we see in verse 13 that stands out. As he's mentioning all these other things, he says, and human beings sold as slaves. And that's a real important phrase that we need to kind of focus on because all these luxuries and basic things for trade, the flour, the wheat, the cattle, and then among them are the bodies, human lives. Oh yeah, we sell cattle and we sell people. When you worship the gods of Babylon that are represented here, mammon, money, Mars, war, Aphrodite, pleasure, then these gods are going to require sacrifice. And that sacrifice is going to show up in the sacrificing of humanity. And it's something that will have to be held accountable. 
Slavery was just another commodity in Rome or in John's Babylon that he's presenting here. The majority of people were slaves. I think it's funny sometimes because we forget that and people will look at a scripture and they'll, you know, say, oh, here, you know, Paul is telling, you know, women, wives, you should be there at your home. And that word is used for homemakers as if it was the 1950s in the United States and it was the Cleavers and you went home to whatever Mrs. Cleaver's name was, right? And she's just home making food and, and she's doing the sewing and she's just taking care of her home. Most women were slaves. Most women worked for someone else, not their own family, right? Most everybody was slave under Rome and ruled by somebody. That was the civilization. Slavery to them was like electricity or gasoline or running water to us, right? It, It was something that was how life was. I mean, we turn on the lights and we think it's normal. We get something from, you know, Edison that says on, you know, Tuesday the 14th, from this time to this time, we're going to shut off the power. And we're like, oh, it's a big deal. Why? Because we're not going to have any power. And sure enough, the power's off and it's usually during the day. And so you don't think too much of it because you can still see. And then you go to turn something on and it doesn't work. It's like, oh, that's right. The power's off. You know, you want to go and... Use the microwave. Oh, the microwave doesn't work. You want to check something on your computer. Oh, it doesn't turn on, right? I mean, there's so many things we just take for granted that require electricity, that require these things. And so slavery slavery was just another commodity in Rome's economic system, right? But John believed in the God of the Exodus, the God who her, the heard the cry of the people. The God who set slaves free. We have seen time and time again these illustrations that refer back to the plagues of Egypt, that refer back to the situations of Egypt. You know, we saw in chapter 5, verse 9, purchased with your own blood, right? Which is very much uh, an Exodus language kind of a thing. Buying slaves to set them free language that's there. Rome slash Babylon is full and been filled for decades with all the families who have been devastated because of slavery, who have been bought and sold. The, the families where the husband goes one place, the mom goes someplace, and the kids go someplace else. And they're just taken and dispersed and used for whatever purposes, just like you would use a utility tool or something else. And imagine all the horrific stories that have happened throughout all those years And if every one of those stories matters and all that hurt is being accumulated to one day have to pay it back, imagine the amount of pain you would have to pay back. And so that's why this whole double portion of what you've done is going to come back. All your luxuries, a double portion of pain will be on you. Why? Because your luxuries were on the pain of all these other people.
right? And so what we're seeing here is that forced labor that served for the whim of others. The whole system is rotten, and the rottenness infects everything else that it's connected to. And John appreciates and understands you know, the weeping for the city because so much of the world is now being run and under this system. He sees that, and he sees that, you know, the merchants and the owners, all the things they recognize, Babylon is a source of their securities, and now it's collapsed, but he has no sympathy for it, right? Now it's rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostle prophets. You know, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. And again, this is... God's dealing with them with what they've done. In Deuteronomy 19, the false accuser must suffer the penalty that they intended to inflict on their victim. Babylon must pay the price for all the victims that have been under her. And remember, Babylon has drawn its power from the beast and the beast has drawn that power from the accuser, the Satan, the serpent of old that we saw in chapter 12 and that we are going to see again. The whole system is built on lies, false accusations of God, against God's people, the bride, using them, abusing them, torturing them, persecuting them. And that's what we're seeing taking place. And in verse 21 says, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So the chapter ends with a prophetic judgment of a stone being cast into the water. It's, again, very clear to them from Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 63 and 64, where Jeremiah was commanded to tie the scroll of his own words to a stone and throw it into the river, saying, Thou shalt Babylon sink to rise no more. Right? We also remember Jesus' words in Matthew 9, 42. Whoever offends one of these little ones, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and it be cast into the sea. The whole idea is judgment. And John sees a mighty angel pick this large boulder, this large stone up, throw it violently into the sea, symbolic of what's going to happen to Babylon, never to rise again, never to hear the musicians, never to be a source of income, never to be a light or have that light. And Babylon is a city that's been founded on violence, not just the violence of the martyrs, but the violence of all those that they've conquered. 
And again, when you're talking about Rome and all the things that they've done and the conquering that took place, it's astonishing. And we can look at it historically and say, oh, wow, look how huge Rome was. But to realize that each of those areas that they conquered, they conquered with the blood of other people, that they conquered violently. And then it starts to be a little bit overwhelming how much violence took place to establish what Rome was. And so once again, in any case, anyone who would feel sorry for Babylon and all that it stood for, we have the explanation that Babylon is a city of violence that was built on violence that spanned the world. Merchants have gotten rich on the back of military conquest. Money and power have done their worst. And John puts them together, as we have seen under the metaphor of fornication, right? Babylon the whore is gone and will not return. And we who live, right, in the shadow of modern Babylons, anytime we see a system that is using its power to gain power with disregard of human life, we should have the same recoil that John is presenting here to see these things, the destruction of humanity that would take place under their rule and have an understanding that any system will reap what they sow. And so anytime injustice is used to gain status, power, luxury, it's going to have to give an account. And it's important that we recognize that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this new Jerusalem that we're going to see is not built on the backs of people. It's built on the sacrifice, not of others, but of the martyrs who are the example for the world of their leader, Christ himself, right? The slain lamb that we've seen show up time and time again. The martyrs who are following the slain lamb, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, not the military power of Rome. One day they will give account for all those things. And then John is saying, rejoice because their end has come. The end of what? The injustice, the end of the tyranny, the end of those who use power for the sake of people to bring about their own well-being. Any thoughts or questions on this chapter? Anyway, again, we're seeing the destruction. Again, remember, this is a metaphor. This is John bringing understanding to his people what is the bigger picture. What's the meta narrative? What's the bigger story that's going on in the story that they are living in? Because the story they're living in right now is pretty bad. Rome is pretty strong, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. But here is the underlining, you know, thing that's taking place. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, thank you again for these words, and they're sober, and they help us to remember, Lord, what matters to you, and to align our lives, Lord, with the things that matter to you, that we would come out from among a system that is about self-service, is about uh, self-gratification, is disregarding the needs and cares for others, Lord, that we would remove ourselves from a way of life that is contrary to your way of life, Lord. And I again thank you for these words that speak to us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.